Welcome to the Stories Behind the Stories podcast from the Roundup CT team here at UConn. I'm your host, Kyogen Calvis, and in this week's Behind the Stories podcast, we'll be dissecting the election coverage ahead of this year's gubernatorial race. With so many candidates this year, um, it can be a little difficult to cover and for readers to digest and, and navigate through that coverage. Uh, members of our team spoke with various journalists who are politically savvy, and they are covering um, these issues for our state. With Election Day being around nine months away, a recent poll by a Hartford-based public affairs and lobbying firm revealed that about 26% of participants, over 1,000 Connecticut residents, chose the generic Democratic candidate for governor as their top choice, while 24.6% chose the Republican candidate. So it really is anyone's race at this point, and there is no favorite. In Connecticut, uh, of the previous 10 gubernatorial elections, the Democratic candidate has won five, while the Republican candidate has won four, and an independent candidate has won one. So as I just said, this is really anyone's race, and that's why it's made covering um, these candidates so difficult for, for journalists and also difficult for readers to follow. I had the privilege of interviewing the Hartford Current's political reporter, Neil Vigder, while Gracie Enright uh, interviewed Max Reese from NBC Connecticut, and Riley McInnes interviewed Christine Stewart from CT News Junkie. All talked about um, the challenges of covering the governor's race and just covering state politics in general. I'm here right now with UConn senior Gracie Enright. Uh, Gracie recently sat down with NBC Connecticut's political reporter, Max Reese, to talk about Connecticut's governor's race. Uh, Gracie, what were some of the things you and Max talked about? Max and I talked about all things to do with covering the election, um, so his strategy for covering the race, how he keeps the coverage of the race interesting for his audience, and what will happen throughout the rest of Connecticut's electoral process. He explained to me that as a reporter, it can be a little tough to cover a race with so many candidates. Let's take a listen to what he had to say and how he handles covering such a unique race. There are a lot of candidates for this race for governor. Mm-hmm. So what is your strategy for covering such a crazy race? That's a great question. Um, so, yeah, it is a hot mess. Uh, that's, like, probably the best way to describe this race. I think the number right now is, like, it's still close to 30 people, you know, which is, like, a silly number for, for governor. I, I think part of the problem is you don't know who's going to emerge from this. So at at the get-go, you kind of have to kind of treat everybody equally. No, you can't give equal time. It's simply not possible. You know, I, I'm given, like, at most three minutes every night. So how can I get, if I'm doing just a GOP story, 12 people in a story? Can't do it. Um, in the same vein, on the Democratic side, there's, like, 10 or 11 people there that are serious, or say they're serious. Um, you can't do it. So a lot of it is figuring out who's saying something that's interesting, that affects the most people, uh, and then kind of going from there. That's not to say that what that person is saying should be standing out. The fact is it is standing out. And that's where us as journalists need to kind of be that umpire, right? A good, for instance, is a couple of the GOP candidates are all talking about eliminating the income tax. That sounds great. It's an incredible soundbite. That's going to make people's ears perk up. That is a nearly mathematically impossible thing to do in the state of Connecticut. That's $9 billion in revenue. So 
what I would like to do, we haven't done the story yet just because I'm just returning from uh, paternity leave, is I want to do the story about what would it mean to repeal the income tax and how could a candidate possibly be serious when they talk about it. So if you're not one of the candidates talking about it, I'm not necessarily going to focus on you. However, if you are a candidate that's saying this person is full of it, right, and they're, they, they're, what they're saying isn't real, then that, that's something I'd probably try to focus on. Gracie, uh, keeping the audience engaged is always a constant issue for reporters, and especially with so many candidates uh, in the current race and statewide issues, it really can be a challenge to sort through what information will be interesting to a local audience. Did Max talk to you about those challenges as a reporter? Yeah, Max talked about how hard it can be to cover a race with so many candidates, especially with the conventions coming right up in May. He said it's really important to him that coverage of the race doesn't become stale because everyone is covering it the same way. And he gave some insight into his method for keeping the race engaging for his audience. What do you do to make coverage of the race interesting to the audience? Um, I, I, you know, we're actually about to start some of that. Um, we're going to start doing a lot more Facebook Lives uh, with candidates, trying to push them down on issues a little bit. Uh, we're going to try to get to all of them before the conventions in May. That's that's a kind of a personal goal. We'll see if we can do it. Um, but also, it's I think you know I think Connecticut is is in a weird moment right now where if if you're just going to cover it the same old way, the same old way, um, it's just going to feel stale and it's going to feel boring. I think that we need to be picking apart stances and picking apart proposals to really show voters what's real and what's not. Um, a lot of the cost stuff involved is huge. Like Connecticut, you know, we're in this, uh, some people call it a fiscal crisis, some people call it a malaise, a downturn, whatever you want to call it. Um, and yet you still have proposals being thrown out there that are really expensive. Taxpayers would have to pay for in some way or another. And, you know, like you have a couple of people on the Democratic side talking about free college, talking about a public option for health insurance. Um, those are expensive things, you know, and I don't know if, the general populace in Connecticut is really looking for that. I don't know the answer to that question, but I think we owe it to them to explain in no uncertain terms, this is how much it would cost, you know, which I don't, I don't think has really been done in a lot of these elections because, you know, four years ago, I had just gotten here four years ago when I helicoptered in for the governor's race and the state had a huge deficit. We, we were, we had a giant deficit, but both candidates the, gov the current Governor Malloy and the guy running against him, Tom Foley, the Republican, were basically saying, no, there's no deficit, right? I feel like, and if you speak to other reporters who cover the race, that was a failing on all of our parts, that we did not adequately explain to voters that what both these guys are saying is wrong. I don't know how that helps you with your decision, right? Because if you only have the two of them and they're both saying the same thing, but at the very least, that gives you more information. The race is really just heating up, and it's definitely far from over. So let's hear how Max explained the rest of this election process. Can you walk me through Connecticut's electoral process of what's going to happen between now and November? Okay, sure. So, um, so right now, um, you have what we'll call the qualifying phase. Um, even though there are declared candidates for governor, the fact is we're still in the qualifying phase. You have a number of candidates, I'd probably say 20 of them, that are looking to qualify for public financing. And that's what we talked about earlier with, if you raise $250,000 through small donations of less than $100, then you, then you will qualify for the Citizens Elections Program. You don't instantly get money. However, if you are the candidate endorsed, the, um, the party endorsed nominee by the Democrats or Republicans, you instantly qualify for $1.25 million in taxpayer money for your election. 
So that's very significant, right? So um, if you're not the endorsed candidate, then all you have is $250,000 and you're going to the primary. But that's still significant because if you win the primary, you can still qualify for the general election money. Does all that make sense the way I've described it? So, um, so that's the one piece of this. In May, so between now and May, you have all these people raising money. And then in the middle of May, you have the Democratic State Convention and the Republican State Convention. You have delegates from all over the state that represent town committees. And it works like a presidential nominating convention. The way the states each get a number of votes, town committees get a number of votes. Um, you can use your imagination. On the Republican side, some of the more right-leaning towns, like more in Fairfield County, those will get more votes. Um, but also even some of the smaller towns that have a vibrant Republican um, uh, party or uh, elected office holders to the General Assembly, um, they'll have more votes. On the Democratic side, you know, Hartford, Bridgeport, New Haven, they'll all have more votes to the, to, to the convention. Um, and so then at the convention, they vote. Uh, it usually takes a couple of rounds of voting before somebody gets the adequate percentage. And once they do, I think it's 25%, you have your two nominees. We're still far from over. We're still not, this is still nowhere near over. Then you have the August primary. Anybody can run in those August primaries. Anybody can. So you need to, if you don't make, if you're not the nominated, uh, if you're not the nominee of your party, you need to collect 2% of registered party voters in the state, which is a very difficult thing to do, especially on the Republican side, because there's only 400,000 registered Republicans. So you need to come up with a way to collect all those signatures and then confirm that they are registered Republicans. Because mark my words, a lot of people don't think they're registered Republicans. Uh, or rather, think they're registered Republicans, but they're not. And then we get to the primary. So the primary will be, I think it's August 15th, I think. That's around that time. Uh, and um, we get there, and then we vote. And then uh, registered Democrats will vote, registered Republicans will vote, and then we'll have our two candidates. Um, from there, the Citizens Elections Program releases $6 million to each of the major party nominees. So you're talking about $7 million that a candidate can qualify for so long as they've raised the 250000 So there's a lot at stake. There's a lot of moving pieces to this. And then we'll vote in November. So that's the... Uh, so then, you know, I would, I would anticipate that August, September, and October are going to be nutso months. And it, hopefully it'll be fun. Uh, it should be. Um, so that's the long slog uh, toward November, what we have right now. I'm with Riley McGinnis right now, who spoke with Christine Stewart of CT News Junkie on the issues covering uh, state politics and the governor's race. So, Riley, what exactly did Christine have to say? Um, Christine and I talked a lot about deciding what to cover and how to make it interesting to readers who maybe don't always read this kind of news. Um, Stewart said it can be difficult to decide which stories to write about, especially since CT News Junkie is a such a small publication. And in terms of the governor's race, she discussed how the candidates are even starting to realize it can be difficult to get their comments, opinions on certain issues in her pieces, since she has to get everyone's viewpoints and with so many people that is literally impossible. What is the biggest challenge for you personally in covering state politics like so thoroughly? 
the, the biggest challenge is just following everything that's happening. And uh, I think it's also challenging to decide whether not to cover a story. Uh, sometimes there there is news that, you know, uh, is important, but because the organization is as small as it is, that you don't get an opportunity to cover some of some of everything. So you try to cover where there's maybe not any coverage at all. You know, I, I guess the biggest challenge is, is just time. I feel like there's, uh, we are a niche publication and there's just so much happening on the political front these days. It's just hard to get to everything. Do you find it difficult with, like, the time constraints to make it so appealing? Like, state politics, like, especially for people my age, except for the people that I know since we're journalism majors, but normal run-of-the-mill people, they sometimes don't pay attention to these things because they don't find it interesting. Do you see that as, like, a challenge? Yeah, I see it as a challenge to try to bring in uh, new readership. Uh, you know, maybe maybe somebody who hasn't heard of us before um, is following one specific issue uh, because some of what we cover is uh, issue and policy based. Uh, you get readers who are interested in those specific topics, and then you know might not come back to the back to the site to to read other things. But usually, usually people are hooked once they uh, they find us. So. Big issues now, there's so many people running, like they're hopefuls, I guess, running for governor. How difficult is it to be fair when there are so many people running? Like you want to make sure you cover everyone and you don't want to obviously seem biased, but how do you cover everything when sometimes there just isn't a story or sometimes the story, other stories are more important or just since there's so many people? I, I think that's what, okay, so I think that's what the, the candidates are figuring out. Uh, we have 27, 29 candidates running for governor. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of them, you know, one of them contacted me the other day regarding the Commission on Fiscal Stability came out with this report. It was like, I want to comment. And I was like, well, that's great. But if I let you comment, then I have to go and I have to ask all the other candidates in your party to comment. Mm -hmm. And I, nobody has time for that. And nobody's going to read a story with a bunch of people's comments in it that, you know, are, are not strung together in any cohesive way. So, you know, I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to have to pass. Um, so I think it's, you know, the candidates are trying to figure out a way to fight through the noise and they're really having a hard time doing it because it's not, the pack isn't being, the pack is not dwindling down like it usually has. And, there, and there's no front runner, which is hard. So yeah. in order to make, so in order to also, so I guess this kind of fits in with, with everything we're talking about, in order to engage readers, to make it interesting, uh, next week, we will be releasing an NCAA-type bracket for the gubernatorial candidates. Oh, okay. So to get people kind of involved in thinking about it and, you know, corresponding with March Madness. <laughs> yes. Um, course, you know, sure. get people interested in the race. We're going to do a NCAA-type bracket for, you know, unscientific, you know, totally just for fun mm -hmm. uh, with the gubernatorial candidates. And Riley, with so many candidates running, uh, what did Christine Stewart have to say about the competition between the two parties later on since, you know, the, the, the race really is just heating up and it's still a long ways from being over? She predicted a lot of the competition would start after convention and after some of the candidates have kind of dwindled down a bit since there are still so many hopefuls in this race. Um, 
she made an interesting point that when there is conflict, then it becomes so much easier for journalists to cover the election because with conflict and hopefully less people by that point, there's direct issues to cover, easier to, t to talk about, and you can get opinions from all sides whenever there's less people at that point. Let's listen in. Do you think you'll start seeing more competition as it goes on, like in between the candidates of their own parties specifically? Yeah, I mean, I think that they'll, you know, they, they haven't really been attacking each other in any way at the moment, but I think that there's a possibility that that, you know, that that comes up. They definitely did last time, last time around. I mean, the difference between uh, Tom Foley and John McKinney was the, the vote on the guns that he took in 2013. So the Second Amendment, you know, group of individuals within the Republican Party really had a lot to say about John's inability to make it to make it to the general election. Is it difficult to cover those kinds of confrontation? Like, as you said, you have to get both sides. But like, is it ever just too hard to cover all of the confrontation between the candidates, especially if there are so many people? Yeah, well, I think it's hard to cover like the little bickering fights, but you know, the big ones, it actually is easier to cover because mm -hmm. there's conflict. And anytime there's conflict, it's much easier to cover something than uh, when there's no conflict at all. So when there's a debate and there's no conflict at all between the candidates, it's really hard to come up with a story. Finally, Neil Victor and I talked about his experience covering this race and just covering state politics generally. Neil told me that he actually finds himself uh, reaching out to candidates just to make sure that he, they are ethically getting covered because there are so many. Uh, let's listen in. Neil, go ahead and tell me um, how you can actually manage covering uh, such a large field of, of uh, hopefuls this time around and how you can uh, give so many candidates equal time and be fair as a, as a journalist. Well, that's a, that's a really great question, uh, and, and it definitely is a challenge. Uh, you know, I can't tell you, Kyle, how many times that uh, I will have candidates uh, or their people send me a text message and say, oh, you didn't mention me in the story. How come so-and-so got a mention and not me? Uh, so it definitely is a challenge, I found, with the gubernatorial race. Uh, it, that it's helpful if uh, our, our paper has like some kind of uh, info box with the candidates listed alphabetically. Uh, so uh, it, it takes up a lot of real estate and stories listing all of these candidates. Uh, there are more than a dozen Republicans who are either running or exploring in the governor's race. And uh, there are a good uh, eight to 10 Democrats as well. Uh, so yeah, I try to kind of spread the wealth around in terms of if I'm doing a story on a particular issue, uh, I, I will try to be cognizant not to keep going to the same people over and over again. Uh, you know, I, sometimes it's unavoidable because certain people will give you more colorful comments or a better quote uh, and other people are kind of more wooden uh, but I always have to kind of tell myself that uh, you know you haven't given this person a shot in a while uh, send them a text or, or give them a call uh, so that's kind of how I manage it I, I of it. you know so one thing you said really stood out to me uh, 
you said that you know so you try to give candidates equal time, especially when there are so so many. And sometimes you find yourself even reaching out to them to kind of give them a, a, an equal chance. But sometimes certain candidates or certain people they just they stand out, they stick out because of the things that they say and their colorful comments or whatever. And it kind of reminded me of 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 the Trump the Trump thing, right? He's running against so many people. And he just kept standing out over and over again. He kept, you know, sucking the air in the room and getting all the coverage. Do you think as, as a reporter, we're going to see more of that, more of those kinds of candidates who, uh, in order to grab the headlines, they'll just make these incendiary comments and, and kind of try to take the Trump approach where they try to mask, I mean, you know. I, I definitely think so. If you, if you look in the governor's race, you see even somebody like Peter Lumage, who's one of the Republican gubernatorial candidates. He uh, ran uh, for secretary of the state and was the GOP nominee in 2014. Immigration lawyer from Fairfield, born in Albania. Uh, and uh, he has a pretty... Uh, uh, hardline view in terms of immigration and other conservative principles, but uh, last Wednesday at the last GOP debate, he said that uh, we need to get somebody like Trump, and uh, that really stood out to me. And uh, you know, it, it is this kind of dilemma in terms of the coverage and reporting. Uh, I don't want my stories to be like a white paper or something that uh, you know people are going to be reading for their dissertation. Uh, I, I want there to be. Uh, I want people to be informed, but I also want to keep them uh, engaged and not bore them. And so, uh, you know, sometimes people will say things, and you say things, and you say, "Wow, that's a, a provocative comment," uh, and that may give them a, a you know better play in the story uh, than somebody who's. Uh, you know, kind of taking a, a moderate, uh, you know, uh, trying to play both sides approach. Right. Would you say that they're, you know, being totally uh, just kind of looking at how people are consuming the news and, and, you know, looking at the coverage? Are there any standouts, any any favorites right now at this point on either side? No, I mean, that that's the, the big takeaway is it's a jumble of candidates. Uh, it's very fluid. No one has caught fire on either side. And you could have a record number of candidates on the primary ballot. Uh, the Democrats and Republicans have their primaries in August. And you could have a record number of candidates in the primary and qualifying for public campaign financing under uh, the Citizens Election Program uh, that perhaps somebody who gets... 20% in August becomes the party nominee. Uh, that something like that is entirely possible. I also asked Neil about his experience um, covering politics, especially in this modern age where the partisanship is just so heightened. In my own experience, I told him I worked in the governor's office last semester as a press intern. I'm currently interning for a lobbying firm, so I spend a lot of my, a lot of my days uh, every week in the LOB and in the in the state capitol. And I've just noticed both from media coverage, but also just sometimes being there in person and observing legislatures and listening to conversations and just seeing the tension uh, happening in our own state. So we talked a lot about why this has been going on and, and how 
the current political climate in Connecticut mirrors what's happening in D.C. Definitely in the, in the, in the past couple of years and, and maybe be given to the fact that uh, Governor Malloy is so unpopular in our state. Have you seen uh, a deepen of the of the partisanship and of the party line divides on both sides as a, as a reporter covering politics in Connecticut? I, I, I definitely think so. I mean, uh, I just did a story uh, this past Friday uh, that was in uh, Saturday's Current and was online Friday evening about uh, there is the state criminal justice czar, and he's an appointee of the governor. Mr. Lawler, yeah. Uh, yeah, Mike Lawler. And uh, he's a very opinionated person on Twitter, and uh, he tweeted a couple of weeks ago, there is a uh, prosecutor from Pomfret, she's a state prosecutor, she's taking leave from her prosecutorial job to uh, run for state attorney general. She had been a delegate for Trump at the 2016 convention, volunteered for him, and Lawler referred to her on Twitter as a full-force racist enabler of Trump. And uh, so now Republicans, uh, Senator Pisano, the Senate Republican leader, is calling on the governor to reprimand uh, Mr. Lawler uh, for that tweet. Uh, but, you know, that's just like one of many tweets out there. But I do know that the uh, state Republican chairman, J.R. Romano, is quite exercised about uh, Mr. Lawler's uh, tweets. And uh, Senator Fasano, not so much on all the tweets, but that one. Specifically the one of the... Of the... Yeah. And, uh, you know, there, there's, there's nasty stuff out there uh, on all sides. Uh, you know, there's a... A, a website uh, that was uh, spewing uh, homophobic and anti-Semitic things about Andrew McDonald, who's the governor's nominee to be chief justice of the state Supreme Court, right. uh, going after him on his sexual orientation. You know, he stands to become the first openly gay chief justice in the country if he's confirmed by the legislature. And as we're talking uh, today, he was... Uh, you know, appearing before uh, the Judiciary Committee and, and testifying on his nomination. But uh, that is that's turned ugly as well. So you see it, it, it uh, from all different sides and, and many different voices. In Connecticut, do you, do you think that it's just uh, a symptom of what's happening nationally or there's more to it here in our state of why things are so ugly in the legislature? I, I think it's uh, symptomatic of what's happening nationally. I think that... Uh, you know, Connecticut, uh, look at the, uh, the the makeup and composition of the legislature. Uh, there are 79 Democrats in the House, 72 Republicans. The state Senate is tied 18-18. The lieutenant governor, uh, Nancy Wyman, uh, is the one who breaks the tie for the Democrats in the Senate. But uh, because things are so tight in the legislature, because of the way things are playing out nationally, people, there's a lot of hostility and resentment and uh, anger uh, on all different sides. Neil, what's the biggest challenge to, to covering state politics? Uh, I think not following the pack. Uh, I always pride myself on trying to think uh, things differently and, and look for stories that are, uh, I think when you cover politics, you can kind of get into the rut of uh, just 
kind of chasing people around the Capitol. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to get out there in the cities and towns and, and talk to people. And, uh, you know, you, you don't want to become a creature of, of Hartford just the same way as you don't want to become a creature of Washington. That's right. That concludes this week's Behind the Stories podcast here with the Roundup CT. We want to thank all of the journalists who spoke to our team about covering state politics, and specifically the challenges of covering the governor's race with so many candidates. Next week, the team will be off on spring break, but we'll be back soon with many more podcasts and stories behind the stories of why local journalism matters so much to our state and the talent that fosters it. Thank you, and we'll see you soon.